I always wanted to be a doctor. From a very early age, throughout junior high and high school years, and when I went to college, I was on a very traditional path to become a cardiologist. Each year, over 20,000 students enroll in medical schools across the U.S. Every student has their own unique reasons for deciding to pursue medicine, but sometimes life has other plans. I dropped out of training. I had no job. I had no income, and I founded my first company. That was a joke. Over 600,000 businesses are started each year in the U.S., and nearly half fail within five years. Two-thirds fail within 10 years. So why would someone who's on a path to a successful career in medicine decide to become an entrepreneur? A lot of people go into medicine because it's not very risky. And so there's a real juxtaposition between those people who go into medicine because it's a secure, professional lifestyle and being an entrepreneur. That's the voice of Dr. Dave Albert, physician, engineer, inventor, and serial entrepreneur. And this is Digital Health Today 360. I'm your host, Dan Kendall. Dr. Albert has developed life-saving technologies and products for more than 30 years. And he's turned a number of those inventions into tech startups, even before it was a trendy thing to do. Today, he's a founder of three technology companies, Innovalarm, Lifetone Technology, and AliveCore. I've had the chance to meet Dr. Albert on a few occasions over the years, and I'm excited to bring you this special episode that features some of the turns of fate and deliberate decisions that led him to a successful career at the leading edge of health innovation. I first heard about Dr. Albert back in January 2011, when he posted a four-minute YouTube video showing how to turn an Apple iPhone 4 into a wireless, clinical-quality cardiac event recorder. It looked like magic. And 10 years later, the AliveCore company continues to grow and expand. More on that later. Like many of us who have worked in healthcare innovation, Dr. Albert had a personal experience that helped jumpstart his interest in technology. I went to medical school at Duke and I was on a very traditional path to become a cardiologist. And my third year of medical school, my dad had a heart attack. I went back to Oklahoma and he recovered. And when he got out, they told him, you need to do your cardiac rehab and you need to walk to get your heart rate to 110. I knew my dad couldn't take his pulse rate. And in 1980, there were no chest straps, Apple watches, Fitbits. So Dr. Albert began to ask around to see if he could find someone who could develop something for his father. Turns out he could, but it wasn't going to be cheap. At least not when you're on a college budget. I gave this guy $200, which was like, I, I was gonna have to eat ramen noodles for about six months because of that. About three months later, he brings me this circuit board with all these wires on it and says, this is it. It doesn't really work, but it's all I'm gonna work on. And I was so mad and I felt so abused. I decided that I'm not gonna let anybody do that to me again. Sometimes it seems that if jobs are gonna get done right, you need to do them yourself. And that's exactly what Dr. Albert decided to do. I was eight months away from finishing Duke Medical School. So I went to the Dean of the Medical School and the Dean of the Engineering School and to my dad and I said, I wanna become an engineer. So I went back and took a year and a half of undergraduate classes at Duke and then graduate school classes, another year and a half. Then I went back and finished medical school. And as it turns out, Dr. Albert is a pretty good engineer. He doesn't just think up great ideas, he gets them patented. 
So far, Dr. Albert has clocked up over 30 U.S. patents with even more products in the works. He got his first patent when he was still a student. But inventing was just a side project for him. He still had his sights on being a practicing physician. So while licensing inventions is great, he still needed to complete his clinical training. I developed two inventions and I got my first patent, still as a student, and I licensed one of them. And then I went back to Oklahoma to do my clinical training. And I was there with my wife who came from Duke Medical School. We had one baby, we had another baby coming, and I had a new invention. Nobody wanted to license it. At this stage, Dr. Albert was enjoying the perks of the first two inventions that he'd licensed. While his friends were driving around in beat up old cars, he was driving a Corvette. But now, with a third invention right in his hands and no one interested in licensing it, he found himself considering an entirely new direction for his career. And I said, hell, I'm going to start a company. Most entrepreneurs will tell you that the support of family and friends is critically important for starting a business. But Dr. Albert's family was a little less than impressed with this new idea. This time, my dad was really skeptical. And my wife was like, hey, you know how much I make as an intern? Like 18 grand a year. And we're going to have two kids. And we've got some savings. But what are you doing? And then my mentor at Duke and my mentor at the University of Oklahoma, they convinced my wife and my father, let Dave try this. Okay, let him drop out of his training and try this, get it out of his system. So they let me do that. Many people who daydream about starting companies glorify the freedom, the control of your destiny, and the day when they'll make it big. But anyone who's tried to start their own company knows the reality is very different. I dropped out of training, I had no job, had no income, and I founded my first company, and that was 33 years ago. It was the dumbest thing I'd ever done in my life. It was not easy, and I made lots of mistakes. And that began the career path that I still am on today. Yet despite any missteps, Dr. Albert is considered by many as one of the first and most visionary health entrepreneurs. He sold his first company in 1991. He formed a second company called Data Critical and took it public in 1999. In 2001, that company was acquired by GE, and he became the chief scientist of GE Cardiology. He left that role in 2004, but he continued to think about one of the ideas that he'd patented years earlier. I'd come up with an idea, patented it, built a prototype, and actually got an FDA 510K on a palm top oriented personal wireless EKG device. The prototype we made was a kludge and it had a cell phone with a cable and a modem and a separate EKG device and this palm top computer. When the first smartphone came out, it changed the world. And I saw it as an opportunity because it had all those independent technologies integrated into a single platform. With the introduction of the iPhone in 2007, the idea of a portable cardiac event recorder was a lot more feasible. The iPhone offered users a beautiful touchscreen and mobile data connectivity. But connecting external hardware to the iPhone was a difficult challenge at the time. Apple's known for its tight control over both hardware and software. But Dr. Albert knew about a technology that could send data via the iPhone's microphone, and he licensed the patent from GE. The reason we did that was that the original Apple iPhone had locked the Bluetooth capability. So we utilized a unique technology to communicate to the smartphone and from there transmit it anywhere, anytime. 
Later versions of the AliveCore device connected the iPhone via Bluetooth Low Energy. But this innovative solution to a technical challenge gave AliveCore the jump in creating a whole new market for mobile connected ECG. But what did the health community think of such an innovative and portable device? I think you will always find the early adopters. And I was, again, very fortunate. Dr. Leslie Saxon and Dr. Eric Topol both called me after seeing my video and asked for one of my prototypes, which I provided. And of course, then Eric Topol diagnosed a heart attack on an airplane and diagnosed atrial fibrillation. And Leslie, I had naysayers. I can tell you I was at medical meetings between 2011 and 2015, where I would inevitably get a question, well, it's not a 12 lead ECG. And usually I'd shake my head up and down. And then my pat answer was, you're right. However, how many leads does an automatic external defibrillator need to decide it's going to save your life? And how many leads does an implantable cardiac defibrillator need to decide it's going to save your life? And they go one, and then they just sit down. In 2011, people told me, nobody who needs that, nobody with heart disease, nobody over 65 will have a smartphone. That was pretty much true in 2011, but it's not true in 2021. And today we have a cardiac mobile 6L, which gives you half the 12 lead ECG. And, and the six leads that every cardiologist and electrophysiologist are very familiar with. And so the world changed. I was fortunate enough to, as Wayne Gritsky say, skate to where the puck was going. And the AliveCore team has continued to skate way ahead of the pack. Our new Cardia AI2, which is a new set of algorithmic determinations, expands beyond any other consumer personal ECG, what you can learn algorithmically from your ECG. And this is important because today, while you may have a device, say you have potential atrial fibrillation, or you have sinus rhythm, there are a lot of other causes for palpitations for an abnormal or irregular heartbeat. And so if you have one of those, you're wondering, well, what is it? Is it my atrial fibrillation? We're now able to discriminate between atrial fibrillation and an irregular heartbeat caused by what we call premature ventricular contractions or premature atrial contractions, ectopic beats from the top or bottom chamber. And that's very important because that means you know, I may have had an ablation, a procedure where they burn certain parts inside the heart to cure atrial fibrillation that treats it for a while, but it can always come back. And so these people feel something, they're very worried. Do I need to go see my doctor? Do I need to go to the emergency room? And it tells them, no, you're sinus rhythm with PVCs. And that's very reassuring, peace of mind. And it also means potentially saving a trip to the doctor, to the ER, which in the times of COVID is very important. But AliveCore's success doesn't revolve exclusively around innovation in the R&D department. AliveCore also had to rethink their commercial strategies to reach new users. As a result, AliveCore markets their products both to businesses and directly to consumers. We've had a strong program for the last several years in television direct consumer advertising, taking our cues from the pharma companies and have built a significant consumer recognition and consumer brand in addition to the validation and brand we have with cardiology. That's a unique position. We're a true medical company, happen to sell our product directly to consumers, which brings people like Omron and the Mayo Clinic to become not only our partners, but our investors, because they too see that we span this 
notion between health and medicine. And I think we're going to continue to expand that position. And expand is exactly what AliveCore has done. They announced in June 2021 that they had acquired an independent diagnostic testing facility called Cardiolabs. This acquisition expands its cardiological services to patients who are using monitoring devices that are prescribed by health specialists. Cardiolabs customers will continue to use the existing suite of cardiac monitoring devices, but over time, they'll have access to the CardioMobile 6L. So what insights can Dr. Albert share with others who wish to follow in his footsteps and build successful health tech companies? I'm asked often by young medical students and residents and fellows and even people out in practice who come to me and say, I want to do what you do. How do I do it? And I go, first of all, you need to go talk to your best psychiatrist, okay? Because this is not a journey for the weak need. It's risk. And a lot of people go into medicine because it's not very risky. There's a real juxtaposition between those people who go into medicine because it's a secure professional lifestyle and being an entrepreneur. You need to make sure you listen to the naysayers and evaluate them, but ignore them if you believe you're right. Persistence and determination, without those characteristics, you won't be a successful entrepreneur. It's been a very interesting life and much of it was not planned. It's worked out for me and I'm sure if I was sane in 1987, I wouldn't have done it, but just a small amount of insanity helps. Dr. Albert's personal mantra is saving lives one invention at a time. And while we may be able to count the number of patents he's granted or companies he's started, the true impact of his work on the lives of millions of people today and in the years ahead is impossible to calculate. I hope you enjoyed this profile of Dr. David Albert. He's a physician, inventor, scientist, engineer, and serial entrepreneur. And he's also a husband, father, and grandfather. You can find Dr. Albert on Twitter and LinkedIn using the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this program, please follow us on your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. You can also sign up for our newsletter on our website and check out our other Digital Health Today programs, like the limited series about digital therapeutics, which is hosted by Eugene Borohovich, and the Asia-Pacific edition of Digital Health Today, hosted by Tony Estrella. Find them all at digitalhealthtoday.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep on innovating.